0: There are no monsters, no real ones, but there are, there are, there are, are, there are. Yes, there are. Collective Nightmares podcast. We are sociologists who talk horror. I am Marshall Smith and I love digging into horror because, well, because of the conversation we're in now, where we're really able to take Robin Wood's theory, which is the inspiration for the title, and use it to look at a subgenre of horror and understand what about the culture helped produce it and what the films that it produced helped to contribute to our understanding of what was happening in our culture at the time.
1: And the title of our podcast, you mean, I feel like Mm. I should clarify there. Yes. I'm Laura Patterson. Marshall and I both have our PhDs in sociology from the university of Colorado at Boulder. And yeah, horror is great therapy. First of all, (laughs) but, I love horror and I love having conversations about what's right and what's wrong. And it's just, it's just a pile of that. It's a pile of societal arguments about what's good and what's bad. And that's fun, especially if you like to hold yourself under a microscope.
0: (laughs) (laughs) At least sometimes or some of the time. This is the second in what is going to be a mini series about possession films. We started with the conjuring last week. We encourage you to check that out. Give that a listen because we definitely reference it. Even if you've just seen the movie, you don't necessarily have to listen to our episode before, but we do a lot of compare and contrast and we're probably going to keep doing that moving forward. So we watched, again, this time, The Possession, a 2012 film directed by Ole Bornadal. And the synopsis from IMDb is a young girl buys an antique box at a yard sale, unaware that inside lives a malicious ancient spirit our entire catalog our entire backlog of episodes is available for free on our website collectivenightmares.com or spotify itunes we'd love it if you'd subscribe review us it helps get us noticed i guess that's what i hear anyway and if nothing else, tell a friend who's in horror movies and keep listening. You can reach out to us anytime, message us on Instagram at Collective Nightmares. We'll announce new episodes there. And spoilers in this film for The Conjuring, for this film itself. We hope to avoid spoiling films for you. We strongly recommend you watch the film before you listen. Oh, there's uh, so definitely... many in this
1: one Pet Cemetery, Fallen. Yes.
0: Ooh, yeah. Spoiled Fallen, big time. I brought up Dr. Sleep, but not terribly. Nah, I don't think you spoiled that. Uh, so, yeah, Pet Cemetery, Fallen, Conjuring, this film, little bit of Nightmare on Elm Street, part two. Oh, oh, uh, in the Lodge. And the Lodge. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> lots of spoilers. Not, not usually that many, but I guess that's how it goes. This was a, we really got into it with this conversation. We, so we, we hope you appreciate it. And if it does spoil some of those films for you, because you don't want to go watch six movies before listening to us, we hope it was worth it for you. <laughs> we, we tried to make it worth it for you. And rather than divorce ourselves from the film, we're going to collaborate to discuss the film for you all. Anyway,
1: about anyway. this film. okay so where do we dive in first I think the family dynamics are super interesting and I'm tempted to lead with like the whole divorce situation whatever we need to get there eventually but I also would really like to talk about points of comparison between this film and The Conjuring because there were a lot of differences and that'll be really fun to roll through some differences a few similarities overall it was less offensive
0: (laughs) I I felt (laughs) it was also less good It was, I mean, in the sense of, I should clarify, it was less scary. For me, it was significantly less scary.
1: I guess so. I guess, you know, I have a hard time. I have a hard time assessing that because these have never been my kinds of film. For me, human villains are the scariest. And when anything turns supernatural, I've, I've historically just been turned off by the film. And so it's harder for me to get scared by a supernatural film. But you're right. I would say this was less scary.
0: I mean, I get that. I think for me, that is part of the part of why I find the conjuring so impressive is I surprising to even myself. I was like, oh, I am this is this is kind of scary. And we talked about that. You listen to our last episode. <laughs> if you if you haven't, uh, uh, if you haven't, so I guess what are we doing? We're doing general reactions. I appreciated it. I thought it was interesting, it was well done. It wasn't The Conjuring. I didn't find myself really scared. And uh, I appreciate a good box as the portal to hell kind of story. Maybe at some point we should watch Hellraiser. uh... I wonder if that is the original. Anyway, and yeah, you talk family stuff is probably my thing. I guess it probably wasn't. I'm curious to talk about the offensive part because I think it was... Basically just as conservative. So I don't know exactly what you mean by less offensive because I'm taking your offensive to mean how conservative The Conjuring was.
1: Well, okay. Can I throw out some points of comparison? Because I think that would be a good place to start to address what you're talking about. We had Judaism instead of Christianity. So that in itself was a huge deviation from the genre norm. And it made me laugh a little bit when they showed the exorcism book and it said like Jewish exorcisms. Is that what it said? <laughs> and I thought the Christian one doesn't say like Christian exorcisms, does it? It just says exorcisms. <laughs> but <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, that was different, and uh, it was a deviation, at least from the Christianity is correct version of the world. So that, and that's that's notable, I think, for a film like this. Totally. There were still two daughters and a woman at the beginning who became possessed. So we still had women being possessed. Um, Although dad became possessed at the end, but that was him going in as the chivalrous savior to save his daughter. So that's still borderline, right? But we at least didn't have the lore going back for centuries of women upon women upon women upon women being not only the ones afflicted by the possession, but also the cause or sort of, I don't know if cause is quite the right way to say it, but it was their behaviors toward their children that was somehow tied to all of this. That was Lessened in this film. I, I would like to reinvoke the ecofeminist argument that I brought up in our last episode, and just say that the connection I think between so the ecofeminist argument as a, a part of environmental sociology tends to argue that there's a there's an important connection between the oppression of women and the degradation of the environment. And that by conceptualizing the environment as feminine, it allows sort of a masculine domination of both women and the environment, right? Some examples would be like mother earth or virgin land, right? If we characterize earth and land as female, then it makes it easier for like patriarchal society to dominate both. And there's nuance there certainly because there's like a, I don't know if you'd say counter argument or just other argument that says no women actually are sort of more better environmental stewards and more connected to the earth. And we shouldn't disregard that. And we need just women in power to help counterbalance sort of man's influence on the environment. And I won't go down all those roads right now, but, but just this basic connection between nature and women. And when I talk about that in my class, I think I've brought this up as well with you, but I often show this image because it's not just the oppression of women. It's also the oppression of people of color and, you know, all of these sort of characteristics that are tied to the environment. And I show this picture from a. It was one of those, you know, go get drunk and do a painting places. Um, and for Earth Day, they had a big sign out front, and it was like, "Come paint this painting on Earth Day." And it's a dark-skinned woman in front of the Earth. And I like that as an example in my class because I don't necessarily think that the people, like the whoever runs this painting place, is thinking, "Hey, I want to oppress people." It's just this is part of the cultural landscape that we're floating in, right? That we as a society have these connections between femininity and the environment and between darker skin and, and nativism or whatever, and the environment. And that all of these things pop up in ways that aren't intended to be oppressive yet there they sit as a reflection of our society. And so that's why you know we're not talking about the environment exactly with a possession, but we are still talking about something in the same vein. It's this connection with the other world, which feels to me like a connection with nature, some sort of ethereal I don't know exactly what, how you want to characterize that, but I think there's a connection there between those two. And so I do think it's important that women tend to be possessed more often, I'm saying based on our fairly small sample, because I haven't thought about this a lot historically. When you pulled up the poster there for whatever film that was that you pulled up to show me, that was a little boy. But then I think we would argue, at least based on, again, our last conversation in this one, that it's not just women, but it's women and children who are seen as weaker and who are seen as better conduits for possessions. And so there's still that. And we still had two daughters. Um, it was very interesting that the daughters were identical-ish. And then we had the, you know, if we want to follow the rules of our previous film, I don't know if that's cheating to pull out rules of The Conjuring and try to apply them to this film. But in The Conjuring, the rule was the weaker person gets possessed more easily. And so if that were to carry over as some sort
0: of... Well, this, the rule was, they give us a rule, which is the innocent the most innocent.
1: Oh right, or at least it's looking for the most innocent.
0: Okay. Well, whatever. Yeah. Is, it, is that not? Isn't the same? That's the same thing.
1: I guess so. Although I wonder if the other daughter had opened the box, could it have hopped from person to person? Maybe. Maybe. I. But it's. But
0: the box called to M. Okay, one, that's a good point. At, at the garage sale.
1: Yeah. Okay, that's a good point. That's a good point.
0: Anyway, go ahead.
1: So the, the fact that we have women generally being possessed is interesting and, and says something probably about this mirror on how we as a society see women and children as whatever in the terms of Conjuring weaker, in the terms of this film, I don't know, more innocent, maybe.
0: I think there's overlap there. I think naivete. I don't think it's a reach to say that there are overlaps. There's overlap between naivete, powerlessness, innocence, weakness, all those sorts of things well, we have, right. Knowledge is power and experience comes with wisdom. And the flip side of that is if you're innocent, you are less, less powerful in some ways. Anyway, go ahead. So I'm saying, I think there's still alignment there with what you are putting forward.
1: I like that. Yeah. And so, so we still have this thread again, based on our relatively small sample size at this point of women being perceived as, Fill in the blank. More innocent, weaker, somehow more susceptible to possession. I was really excited in this film that we had a literal bad box. You know, I talk about what's going to go in the bad bucket. It's like, oh, there's <laughs> stuff in the bad box. How cool is that? <laughs> Let's see what comes out of this. But also on a more sort of metaphorical level, we had the almost identical twin sisters and one got possessed and one didn't. So looking at the differences in their characteristics and who fell into the now, whether that's a bad characteristic or it's a characteristic that leaves them open to possession, i.e. weakness, innocence, whatever that is. I thought contrasting the characteristics of those siblings would be interesting. Maybe I should I stop there for a minute? I feel like I've been going on for a while here.
0: Uh, I mean, they are sisters. Siblings also often look alike if it's the same parents. that's all i got the only thing i want to say is before we skip to all that i think it's important to note or i think it's worth noting that the original or the origin story that we get here is a mom who is older and is living by herself whose son is coming to check on her and we don't really have any idea but but she is the first one killed and she is decidedly not a she's decidedly not a child I and mean, she has a child of her own and i guess she also isn't possessed so because she doesn't open the box right so she was like keeping it but i guess for, if nothing else that it's another family that does not fit a nuclear ideal that is disrupted by the box. That's really what I took away from that.
1: Oh, I like that. Yeah, that's great.
0: Because there's no second sibling and there's no father figure, at least that we saw. So that's all I got. That's I just want to acknowledge that that bit happens at the beginning.
1: I like that a lot. There was something overall in this film that felt more updated and a little bit less I felt like good wasn't so obviously white Christian. I was going to say like nuclear family kind of values, except that this was super pro nuclear family. So yeah. I, that it was, but it just a little, when I said less offensive, I guess I'm just trying to explain what I meant there. It, it seemed a little bit more nuanced. I mean, the Judaism by itself is a huge piece. That's, that's a big deviation. And it, it was odd and how it dealt with divorce and dealt with the breakup of the nuclear family because at the core its message was get yeah, incredibly pro nuclear family stay together for the kids we have to dig into that a whole lot more but it also really humanized both of the parents and their decisions and nobody seemed like a monster mm-hmm. and that was interesting i feel like you had empathy throughout the whole film for both of them and i don't know if they were supposed to be like sheep lost from the flock who we care about and finally at the end find their way back to goodness or something but They weren't demonized, even though they were representing something that, I guess, was shut down by the film.
0: No, I don't think they were demonized at all. And mom, Kira, what's her name? (laughs) Uh, Stephanie, mom. She turned the spare bedroom when she boxed up all his stuff into something for her business or she turned it into an office or something.
1: She took down his office. I'm not sure what she made
0: it. Uh, Damn! Really? I could have swore that it was just a brief, but it was something about she had moved in there because her she was going back to her career or some some something. Dang, you don't remember that. I'm looking up subtitles now, uh let's see uh, office uh yeah, the jewelry design I needed the extra space for the business We're officially up and running the jewelry design I told you I was getting back into it, and I was gonna say they're they're still very traditional parents, but if she's a if she as a mother is starting her or returning to her own business, that breaks that mold a little bit of she's not relegated like uh the mother in the conjuring to exclusively a caretaker, stay-at-home mom. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but but it is a little it is a step outside. And as far as dad goes, Harry, what's his name? It's a problem with Clyde. <laughs> it's a problem with with super popular actors. <laughs> like I don't know what your character name is. Uh but Clyde is also uh I mean they do fit they they fit gender roles predominantly but not to the point of it being kind of caricature that the conjuring was because he has some sensitivity right and he has some I mean he screws up in the dad ways he's too focused on his career and yada yada but but he does have some he cuddles and and does the shadows on the ceiling and has some like, so yeah, there was a little bit more, more uh, depth or, or at least a little bit of more complexity than just, he works, she stays at home, he is the the guy, and she is the woman, and never will there be overlap kind of thing.
1: <laughs> and also, the spirits got in on on Clyde, it was Clyde, right? Right. On Clyde's watch this time which is very different from The Conjuring because in The Conjuring, it was like, oh, dad goes away on a business trip and that's when you know the weakness in the house <laughs> loses to the spirits. And so that, that was different too.
0: And, and that's what I was gonna say would it be, I don't, well, we can think about whether or not it was, it was deliberate by the film. But the other thing that, as you were explaining the ecofeminism that I was noticing is, it is interesting with that lens to note that the house that dad buys is at the border of civilization and nature. And the intrusion of nature is a indicator of evil, both real in the sense of all the moths and, and scare without it actually being the evil, which were the raccoons, but they are the house being at the edge of, at the edge of the development he makes a point to note that it's open space behind us or whatever. And, you know, we're close enough here that there can be wild animals and whatnot. And, and then to have the the animals be part of what show that this isn't really a safer space. So I don't know exactly where that lines up with what you're saying about femininity, masculinity, because he's being the masculine person. It would be more aligned with what you're saying. If she had moved to the edge, right. So it was the, it was the woman who was closer then to the nature. And that was what, or that would be the more sexist <laughs> <laughs> argument. Is that, I, I mean, you hear what I'm saying? I,
1: I do. I and I think that's really cool. And it also ties into when they pan back up on the house at the, like you said, the edge of the development with the clouds and the darkness rolling in, but I think it still works in terms of possibly being sexist in an covert kind of way because it's the daughter who's being possessed. It's not the dad. Mm. And so it's like evil coming in looks like nature, like nature encroaching and evil encroaching are similar. And then what we're arguing is that this whole sort of cultural depiction of women as closer to nature also puts women as closer to this boundary with evil or with sort of the other worlds. I I think that still ties in actually. And I'd like that. I didn't catch that at all.
0: And there were, it could have been for a lot of reasons, but I'm sure it was deliberate just it being a liminal space is always, or at a border, is always good settings symbolically. It also was partly probably practical because it was a new development. They don't have neighbors, so when child goes running down the middle of wherever, I guess there's not people <laughs> who are looking out their doors or whatnot. But uh, but they do a series of the top down establishing setting shots that was the primary mechanism by which they showed setting and with the, with the turn, which I don't know if I fully understand the the rotation, but whatever, it is situating these locations in that sort of topographical space where you would see that we're not just told, but we're, we see that this is at the edge. Whereas Mom's house is in the middle of whatever. So, yeah, that's a little, but those kind of things I appreciate. I want to throw
1: an, yeah. oh, an emotional piece in on top of that, too, because I think there was also a very strong sense that dad was leaving the home and going into this empty space. And that was seen not only with the house being brand new and being kind of devoid of any character and devoid of any hominess, but also there's nothing on the walls. Everything is brand new, blank white there was a very much a sense that dad was, you know, I felt bad for dad through the whole, at least first half of the film, I felt really badly for him because he's trying to make this feel comfortable, make this feel like a home deal himself with this own transition and then try to help his daughters through this transition. And yeah, he's got the tough job because he's in a place that doesn't feel like home. It's not their room as they've known their room. And he's got to try to make it something and make it feel okay. And hasn't clearly gotten there himself even. And so that was difficult. And then when the possession happens at his house, I really felt badly for him. And I thought, okay, this isn't, at that point in the film, I was hoping that the message was not going to be just anti-divorce, which I think it was in a lot of ways, but at that point in the film, I thought, you know, poor dad, it's like he's he's got the harder job here. He's trying to do it well. And now the possession is coming in and making his role even more difficult. And that's tough, you know, and when the when the the ghost, whatever, when the possession makes the daughter slap herself and it looks like he did it. Mm. You know, we were supposed to feel sorry for him in that moment. But it was just like this is just so working against him. Like he's he has got it hard.
0: Yeah. Yes, he did, and that's also interesting in point of contrast to The the Conjuring, where, I mean, it's a brand new house. There's not five generations going back to, or however many generations going back to Salem witch trials on this land that has imbued the evil. It's, I mean, the box goes back however far they said, but it's not attached to a, a place. It's attached to a thing, which... Is, is interesting. And I mean the other point of contrast is, which again, I think is is really great about the conjuring is the multiple sources of evil and this is it's the box. <laughs> That's it. Deal with the box. I mean there was a little bit of wiggle room with if the box is in the car over here, over there, it doesn't have to be right there to, to have hold over over Emily, especially I guess as, as the possession held on over time or got stronger, whatever it, you want to call it, over time. But that, and I guess we learned that if you ever find any sort of antique thing with a mirror on the other side of your, of the opening, probably not a good idea to fool around with it. <laughs> yeah, that's all. It just, I don't know, it's interesting that it was a brand new home. Because it's so often... Trying to think what other I guess that's something else we can look for. We should probably be writing these down, but whether or not the the possession is tied to place or thing or something else. I don't know, maybe if there is something else. I guess the Babadook was really the s- story. I mean, it was the book, but it was really the story, right? Not as much the book itself, because it was like saying the name or like Candyman, right? that's attached to the place, but it's, it's the name and it's the power of the mythology in the, in the retelling of the story itself. And I don't know what all that means, but I do think it's, as you've emphasized, which I think is a great approach, Laura, is point of contrast. Couldn't have been more different. Brand new house, old as fuck house, that's all.
1: Well, and it's interesting too, because even though the haunting in this film wasn't tied to the house, it correlated with the house. Right. It was in the brand new house, which represented the breakup of the nuclear family that the evil got in. And it was back in the real home that was not on the verge, you know, on the edge of civilization and wasn't totally stark and empty that the evil was kept out. And so it's strange. It's like by some rule that supposedly had nothing, you know, one had nothing to do with the other. But the the messaging, the film, you can't separate those. So we've got to dig into that for sure.
0: But the evil did move into mom's house, Did the whole fight in the kitchen and new boyfriend was packing up the car and teeth oh. fell out.
1: Okay, you're right, but and only so, when new so boyfriend was it there. Did. So it, it was the breakup of the nuclear family, whatever location that was in.
0: Yeah, right, right. I mean, it was absolutely breakup nuclear family. And it was, you need to reconcile with your partner to overcome ideally with or I don't know, but yes, because because, yeah, the, the evil did move with the box from home to home and it did. It disrupted all of the relationships with adults, with Emily, dad first, then teachers and principal and then stepdad or stepdad, I don't know, whatever mom's boyfriend or whatever the word is for that and but mom also she shoves all this glass at mom and and attacks her and i'm trying to think if wasn't there a much more wasn't there a dynamic in the conjuring where when dad was around till it got real serious anyway the thing was not as pronounced or it kind of hid or went was less whatever I don't know if that's there or not, but I thought it was worth asking. Just to say that it got spread all around. It wasn't just dad. It was, maybe it was dad first, but then it was these other, including mom. So, which I guess it had to be because it had to be both mom and dad realizing because one of my crucial complaints, there's such a frequent dynamic in so many horror movies. I think haunting and possession movies, but specifically, but probably all where one parent sees the evil and the other parent doesn't. And when they are in disagreement about whether or not there's something evil happening is when that creates more of an opportunity for the evil to grow. And that, that happened for a minute in this, but not very long. And so once both mom and dad realized that something evil was happening that they could then bond in the in group against the out group of the evil. And that's what brought them together. So they really needed to both realize that there was not evil so that they weren't like, they didn't continue that dynamic of, Oh, it's fine. She's just upset because of the divorce, whatever. I mean, they had that for a moment, but it, it was definitely not as significant as a lot of horror movies.
1: So how about this? It was the supernatural depiction of how divorce can ruin a child's life and a child's relationships. And it was recognizing that, right? It was coming to the realization that this divorce really was tearing everybody's family or everybody's life and emotional state apart that resolved the evil. That almost hangs together in the context of the film. Yeah. Because you have the teachers arguing, right? That- I mean, and they bring up the divorce. Obviously, I don't think it's a possession. And the parents are like, oh, no, no, you know, it's been okay. This isn't what caused it. And even though technically in the, there's something missing here, because in the logic of the film, technically mm. the parents are correct. It's a possession. It was not the divorce that caused it. Yet the possession, because it parallels the divorce so much, and it it also parallels breakdowns in relationships that would align exactly with what the divorce would have done. And then it's resolved when the parents get back together in their household. It almost... It feels like I'll say it that way. If you, I don't know that the logic completely hangs together, but it feels like the argument they're making is: you as the parents need to realize that this divorce is destroying your family, and you need to get back together. You think I'm reading too yeah. much into that on a <laughs> personal level?
0: <laughs> no, I don't at all. I think that's painfully clear, and it's. I think the only wrinkle, like you said, when after the parents talk to the teacher and principal they have the discussion where they say, well, it's already been a year. Why is this just happening now if it's really just about the divorce? So, but it is when the... So I guess they are officially divorced. I don't actually remember that, but it's it's not just the divorce. It's the really him being completely removed from the home with the office being wrapped up and set aside and he's in the new home. So their separation or their divorce or whatever it was, wasn't, wasn't really what allowed for the, for the evil to enter. It was them finalizing it through the processes of life of he's finding another house and he's, she's moved him out completely and she's starting to move on with her life and he's maybe moving on with his life to a different job. And I thought there was something, oh, and then she's dating some other Jagoff and he's moving in. Right, he gave her the sign that was no shoes in the house or whatever so that that's interesting I don't know if there's a different view on divorce within Judaism but I think it's more tolerated I think everybody's more tolerant than Catholics but it's not like a isn't there some acceptance of divorce in Judaism versus because Catholicism it's no no matter what God's plan is for you to stay together, just suck it up and deal with it. I think there is, I'm going to do a quick look to look, see if, uh, while divorce is not looked at favorably in Judaism, it is by no means prohibited. And in certain cases, it is even encouraged. According to Jewish <laughs> Whoever that is, <laughs> but so, okay. So there's some acceptance of it. Go ahead. Yeah, I I feel
1: like I have to jump in on that argument because from a, a personal note, I will say there is a lot of, maybe I'll say it this way, as someone who went through a separation with a child, I feel this enormous, enormous weight. And I'll say it's coming from me, but I suppose beyond that, it's coming from society. The argument that you should stay together for the children, that that's what's best for the children and you're being selfish and you're doing something terribly wrong to your children if you separate. And I've had to come to terms with that argument and certainly make what I think are the valid counter arguments to that, which would probably be on a sort of basic level that any you should that rests on telling someone they don't feel how they actually feel tends to break down, right? So if you if you argue that the family should stay together, it's it's like trying to pray the gay away or one of those things, right? Like you can tell someone they should feel a certain way, but if they actually don't, that's gonna come out and people get resentful and people behave badly. And you know that ends up not working the way you would like it to work. So I don't know that should, when it comes to that type of emotion or feeling is necessarily good. And I think also I've certainly had to look at this situation and say, well, on the one hand, you want to view it from the child's perspective. And on the other hand, you want to realize that the child is actually going to grow into their own adult and have an adult life. And so the child is not forever going to be kind of bound by the family that it starts in, I guess. And so putting the weight on the child of like, well, the adults sort of relationship structure and happiness and all of that was done so that the child could be happy. And then making the adults unhappy such that when the child goes out and starts their own life, they've got this responsibility, if you want to put it that way, of having to know that the adults in their life stayed in a position they didn't want to be in just to try to facilitate the child's happiness. And what kind of precedent does that set for the child being an adult? And, you know, there are all these counter arguments to that, that I've had to dig through very heavily because it's a super, super big emotional weight to take on. And that guilt, I think is very strong. And so it's hard to watch a film, you know, through this entire film, I knew they were addressing that message, right? They're obviously addressing divorce. And you've got one daughter who's like, Hey, it's okay. I mean, yeah, it's not ideal, but life's going to go on. It's fine. They're kind of doing what they need to do. And you have another daughter where it's just the end of the world and she's horribly upset. And whenever I watch something like that, I, I just... I want so badly for the film to, I don't know, to validate the daughter who's who's doing okay. Now that's not, that's like I said, coming from a completely personal space. And I'm not saying either daughter's individual reaction in the real world is not justified or isn't valid, but it's just very hard to watch because you get a lot of that messaging. You get a lot of the messaging that says you have to stay together, you have to stay together. It's for the sake of the children. Do it, do it, do it. You can do it and it'll be better. And so it's really troubling That the film, it played with that throughout the entire, throughout its entire length. And it wasn't clear, I thought, where it was going with it through most of the film. Dad wasn't demonized. Mom wasn't demonized. Mom's new boyfriend wasn't demonized. He had a couple quirks that made him a little bit irritating. So I, I felt like we weren't supposed to love him. But that was also maybe fit the emotional tone of him just being a new person and new people are weird. And I don't know. It left those questions open, I guess, is what I'm saying, until I felt like until right at the end. I mean, I didn't know if mom and dad just hadn't ended up in the kitchen together at the end, it would have been an entirely different story without actually changing the trajectory of the film because it would address all of those questions. It would address all of those issues. And if the resolution had been, they came back together in terms of working together as a team to help their daughter navigate this. And then they still continued to go their separate ways because that's what they and their relationship decided was the right thing to do that message would have been completely, completely different. It, and it would have essentially said, you know, in order to free the daughter, in order to whatever, get the evil out of the daughter, I guess, in this case, the parents needed to see eye to eye. They needed to work together. They, you know, they they needed to still be partners as parents, but it really...
0: Without being reconnected in a romantic parents right. without yeah. being a husband and wife or without it, being...
1: It would have argued that that could be possible, that mom and dad could still have separate romantic lives and live in separate spaces and move forward without that necessarily having a bad impact on the daughter as long as they worked together and navigated her situation together. But instead by just, you know, and and so I was I was really invested in this argument and possibly thinking that what they were going to do was exactly that, which, in my opinion, would have been a more helpful message in part because, A, it's the message I feel like I want and need to hear, but I'm not the only one, obviously. And you hear so much of the other message. <laughs> the other message just rains down on you in the society that we live in. So it would have been really nice to hear a counter message. And when dad showed up at the fridge, I was still hoping for a minute that he was just over there helping with something. And what's his name? Boyfriend dude was going to come wandering in. And it would be like, Oh, look, we're all like, okay with each other. And you know, the parents can build a life in a way that feels good for them. And that can still be okay. And the evil can still be out, but nope. Then (laughs) dad's on the phone, you know, rejecting the job and, (laughs) and it's just getting the family back together is what drove away the evil. And, Oh, I I'm, emotionally invested in that argument. And it was, it was hard to see it bite the dust again.
0: It would have been a much more transgressive film if that was the outcome where they worked together, but they didn't re reestablish the romantic connection. Like you said, they, they were more closely aligned on collaborating as parents that would have been a very different, uh, much more transgressive and an interesting film. And uh, it would have been as different as having a, a Jewish-based exorcism because there's so, I don't know if there's any other examples of that, of, hey, we're going to be platonic co-parents <laughs> as a happy ending in movies, uh, or at least in horror movies. I was going to say, what, if there, what about the idea that This might be a not P then Q logical fallacy, but what if by the virtue of the fact that the daughter who was not okay with them being separated is the one who got, who got possessed, the film is implicating her as, well, if you would have just sucked it up and made the best out of it, like your sister, (laughs) the box wouldn't have called you and everything would have been basically fine. (laughs) <laughs> is there anything? Is there anything that, You know, because you were saying, is the, do we think that there's any uh, weight to that argument that that it is the the daughter who resists the acceptance? I guess that would be true if the parents didn't really get along and shouldn't have gotten back together. But it, it could have been right. It could have been like because the other one, like you said, you pointed that out, and that is interesting that the the daughter who was, like you said, very realist, practical. Okay. It's not maybe the ideal, but it's still generally fine. I'm still going to have my dance team and have fun and go about my life was the one who wasn't susceptible to the, the evil. How about
1: this? So it's, it's the weaker one who gets possessed. And maybe the argument toward divorce then is that like, okay, some kids might be strong enough and able to handle it. But if you have a sensitive child, you know, like this does damage. And if it's a child who's prone to experience that damage, you're going to do a lot of damage and you better get back together. Cause that's how you're going to fix that for the child. But, but the, but also that, like you said, the parents are happy at the end and I'm not arguing for you know, pro dissolution of marriage. If people can get back, if the parents can get back together and be happy, that's great. But I also know, you know, and so do a huge portion of society here, everyone who's been in a relationship, that it's hard. Adult relationships are difficult, and sometimes they are at a point where that's not actually the best path forward or something that you can just be like, oh, let's just do this, and it's going to work out, and nobody is going to, you know, seethe with bad emotions for decades and have that be problematic. So it's a little bit of a simplistic argument in the film to to not address any of that and just say, oh, well, look, they got back together look, everything's great. <laughs> nothing, what could possibly go wrong? We don't need to check in on them six months post this breakfast where dad's back to his old stuff that irritates mom and mom's like, can't stand it. And then mom's out dating whoever the pilot or what, he looked like a pilot. I was He was a dentist, I guess. He, he kind of um, like
0: a pilot. <laughs> he looked
1: like a pilot, though, didn't he? <laughs> I feel that? Yeah. Anyway, it's like a lack of acknowledgement of the difficulty in navigating that and how sometimes that path cannot just be like I keep wanting to draw back to like praying the gay away, like oh just forget about that, just don't do it that way because it's better this way. That's not feasible <laughs> or good advice.
0: You're right, and we didn't ever get so uh, to the film's credit at least they didn't give us a a story behind the separation that would have that would have. It was easier for them to leave it vague, but it was also probably better because if they had given us any sort of reason, we would be compelled to judge whether or not that was actually a sufficient reason for the parents to separate, right? If it was, Oh, well, he works too much, then we would have to decide. Okay. What they're saying is that he really shouldn't seek out a better income that will provide for the family. I I don't know, whatever, you know,
1: I thought that was the reason they gave us. I mean, if they gave us one, it was that he was too focused on his work and they showed him not showing up to the daughter's dance thing because he cared more about his job and, and the mom said he was absent. And so, you know, I, and I th- on the one hand, I, I liked that a little better because I thought, well, if dad really changed, like if mom really wanted dad back and that was actually what she wanted was for him to be there. And then he was able at the end to like, commit himself to be present more, which would make the relationship work out. And that's what he wanted now. And they like actually wanted the same things. Then great. Be together. That's not, I mean, that's obviously best for everybody if they can do it. So like, maybe that makes it okay, but it's, it's tricky. It's a tricky message to put out there in society when for a lot of people, the solution is not that easy.
0: Yeah. And I guess I just meant that it wasn't something like, Oh, he started hitting her. So there's an absolute obvious or hitting the kids or whatever, where they're like, well, no, obviously they can't get back together. Evil box or not. If they'd done that and they got back together, it'd be like, this is totally absurd Yeah. Okay. Dad's somewhat absent. To me, that's a much more forgivable. It's a, it's a gray area for sure. And it's, it's just not something that is, it's just a gray area. Okay. Yeah. Blame him for being busy, but everybody's got to make money. Yeah. I I hear what you're saying.
1: It's reminding me of what was that film that we watched Uh, within the last month with the little house. Because that had a similar pro-nuclear family divorce brings in the evil vibe.
0: The Korean one?
1: No. Hansel
0: and Gretel, Korean?
1: No. You're like, no. (laughs) I'm tempted to say like the last scene of the film, which I guess is not what I should do. Remember the one where they're at the house in the snow and the kids are there with like the dad's new girlfriend. Dad's new girlfriend had been a member of a cult. Yeah, uh, Alicia Silverstein, Stone, whatever her name is, yeah. was mom.
0: Balls. What is that movie?
1: Um, Alicia. I picked it. It was new. What is that flipping
0: movie? The Lodge.
1: The Lodge, yes.
0: Yeah.
1: And that was another one where the parents separated and the moral of the film, I think was if mom and dad hadn't separated, this would not have all gone (laughs) terribly, terribly wrong. And it was difficult because then we followed the parent who wanted the marriage to end. And all we saw was that parent get punished essentially for having wanted that.
0: And what was the reason that they had separated in that movie?
1: We never knew, and but I, I mean, I hate to give away like the sort of spoiler scene at the beginning of the film, but we we know that he wanted it and she didn't. OK. And then we just watch his plans to be like, hey, kids, it can still be OK. And I'm going
0: right, to. Right. I'm right.
1: starting another romantic relationship and we can all get to know each other and we can still be happy and everything can work out to just be like, nope. <laughs> no, it can't. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: I mean, it's interesting on the one hand, because you look at how many people end up separated and separated with children. And that's such a common phenomenon that it's not, I'm wondering now, are there any films that accept that in the horror genre that we can think of? Or, and I mean, maybe these are just two recent films that seem to demonize it, but it's such a common experience for a lot of people. So it's, it's a bit odd in a way if it's ubiquitously, shutdown is evil. I don't know if it is ubiquitously shut down as evil. It just happens to have come up, like I said, twice in the last month.
0: Well, the, when I mean, the nuclear family is, I'm looking at Wood's article because I could have swore that one of his, one of the things he identifies that is the transgression or the, or the cultural, deviation that has to be addressed or that is addressed by horror films is okay. Well, I don't see that, but, but I think it's safe to say that within uh within our society, the other, the, the non-nuclear family is still constituted as an other. And, and these horror films are following or representing that template very clearly where the dissolution or the drift towards that othering, or if not drift towards the othering, but the breakdown of the normalcy of the nuclear family is what produces the horror and what needs to be then reconciled. I guess in this case, the other piece that we could add is that should be recon- reconciled with religious guidance, not mental health or physical health, Western science guidance. <laughs> uh and so it's the other conservative part of this is it was totally a which like the conjuring right this was a a pro religion um futility of of western science I mean I guess they never got to the therapist because of the however that worked out with the boyfriend we didn't see the therapist fail but we we never got there and then the medical actually so again, with the conjuring the medical in this film was in service to the extra medical the the non empirical or or the not the religious side of it or the the spiritual i don't know whatever you can't think of that, there's a word for all of that, but we see the demon or the possession in the m r i so it's the m r i is is serving to confirm these fantastical beliefs and doctor's not going to be able to deal with that obviously. And so the priest religious figure, I don't, or I don't know, rabbi, I guess I shouldn't say priest, <laughs> the rabbi or whoever, I don't know if he's a rabbi or not, but the, the Jewish religious guy comes in and he's the one who's able to, to provide the reconciliation or the service to reestablish the, the normalcy So it's, it's conservative in that as well, because this is again, like the conjuring, it's a, it's a family. We don't really see them as religious. We don't, they're not as pronounced conjuring. It's like, we're not religious. We don't believe. And they're like, you should have believed and you will believe and you need to believe. So it was very much a proselytizing. And this was, it was just not as much in your face, but it was still very much, a you need this if it's going to happen. You had to have the religious intervention, and again, that was the same thing. The the empirical systematic knowledge was in service of that because he goes to the university, and the scholar at the university says, I, "I don't know, remember exactly how that turned out, but it's like here's the mythology from a objective point of view, a historical point of view, and that is only useful." in being able to track down someone who is spiritual and religious and is outside of the academic institution. So it is again, this, this elevating of the religious and the spiritual in terms of solutions and the futility or the, at least subservience of the objective abstract truths of Western science and, and empirical scientific method knowledge. So that was was a conservative piece too. To me, it's conservative to be that pro-religious and anti-science. I don't know if it's anti, but it's it's not anti-science, but it's certainly science constraining science, right? Like it has its place, but it's really not, once you actually need the shit dealt with, you need to go to the, you need to go to religion.
1: So this is going to be a a feeling kind of argument to start with. And I'm not sure I can quite tie the evidence together, but my sense is that that was less problematic in this film than it was in The Conjuring. And the reason being that in The Conjuring, I had this real emotional tie between sort of the argument against rationality and the idea that what the film was demonizing, which in a lot of ways in The Conjuring felt to be women, or at least women breaking the mold of sort of traditional, whatever traditional feminine behavior should be or motherly behavior should be, that that was correct, even in spite of evidence against it. There just seemed to be this corollary between like, here's the argument we're making and like the biases we want to have. And we've got this sort of science saying, no, 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 look, listen, this isn't right. This isn't right. And you realize it's right and somehow by by realizing the mythology was right i feel like that just paired in that film with the biases that it was presenting like i said on like an emotional level i felt it more than i can i can give you real like tangible evidence for that but in this film i didn't feel that as much i mean we're still arguing and i will probably go into more detail later about just how emotionally problematic the arguments at least around the nuclear family that this film put out are for someone who like I said, is sitting in a position of non-nuclear family. But even so, I didn't feel like their embrace of religion and rejection of rationality in this film was in service of that argument the way I felt it in The Conjuring. And I don't know why.
0: It wasn't in service of the argument of, it wasn't in service of the misogyny in the same way? Is that what you're saying? What is the argument? You lost me.
1: If this film was essentially arguing that the breakdown of the nuclear family is terrible and we need to fight that, I didn't feel like the invocation of religion necessarily aligned or like was such a strong corollary of like, oh, religion over rationality and also whatever, nuclear family over non. I didn't feel like those were as closely paired in this film as I felt in The Conjuring between like religion over rationality and then like, you know, a woman's place is in the home. I don't know why. I just, I felt it more in that film. Like They felt like the same argument somehow more than they do in this one.
0: It was a lot more overt in The Conjuring, but I don't think it was any less there. I mean, the rabbi saves the day. The doctors don't. The university, the scholar doesn't.
1: I mean, to some extent, that's going to have to happen if you've got a possession movie, right? Or does it?
0: But they didn't have to go to a hospital. Oh, I see what you're saying. They didn't have to go to a university. So like the ineffectiveness He he could have just taken the box to the rabbi- they don't. For me, by leveraging the the expertise of the university and then having that be secondary or only useful in being a a stepping stone on the way to the actual solution of the religion, it's constraining the power of science.
1: I like that. Now I see what you're saying more. I like
0: that. I, you're right. In the conjuring, it was very much more overt. It was. I mean, there were people there who were, or we had our Warrens who were there to say, science is fine, but, and we see that with this case where it might be haunting, but it's really not because we can explain it with very simple physics of water expansion or whatever it was, but this is for the real, and that was used effectively in the country, but this, that's what I'm saying is it wasn't, it wasn't as intense, but it was still there, and I think we ought to at least acknowledge in this film as well. It was all men who were the expertise, the experts, or the whoever to help figure this out. And it was Dad who was the hero. Mom was basically useless in the ceremony. In the end, yeah, it was still all it was still all men who were the saviors, whether or not their MRI or their academic knowledge was helpful. It was helpful. It was always just, it, it's always just secondary. And yeah, I think you're right. There wasn't some sort of, uh, well, I don't know if it was different in the conjuring or just more so much more distilled where the conjuring, it was, it was absolutely the same dynamic as the MRI. The science is confirming the spiritual extra scientific when we see the demon in the MRI scan and in the conjuring, it was here's, we have all these instruments and recorders and cameras, and you can see the demon in the picture or hear it, or you don't hear her or whatever it is. Right. So there was much more of it and it was much more, but it was still the same dynamic of all of the scientific stuff is fine. Until you actually need to solve the issue of the demon, at which point you have to have the religion. And then to your question of, well, could there be a scientific? Yeah, there totally could. That's what Ghostbusters is. <laughs> <laughs> that that is the secular resolution of the paranormal. I mean, it's not the same, but it could. There is precedent for it. Huh. <laughs>
1: That's super interesting. And now I'm wondering, I still want to do a podcast with Noah one day. I'm wondering if we could do ghostbusters, but, but I, no, I want to do something that's directed at children because I think that will be a really interesting conversation. That's a side note. I, I guess you're right. So would we, would anything that is an exorcism that involves religion, would we have to ding it or would we ding it less? I, I, if if i hear you right the argument that i think you're making is that it's worse when it tries science first and then settles on religion as the right answer in contrast to the failings of science so maybe if they like you said if they hadn't tried anything scientific at all and just went straight to religion would that be better does
0: it matter i guess well me being anti religion <laughs> it's it's better cuz it's i mean this it's it's This is, for me, again, specifically delineating here's where science is useful, but that usefulness is is constrained to this part of whatever that is. And if they didn't, if they just sat within the realm of religion, you're at least not discarding or minimizing or limiting the contribution of science. You're avoiding it, which, but that's fine. To me, that's fine. It's... uh. I would rather you just stick to, if you're going to be a pro religion film, I would rather you just stick to the bounds of religion and not take on the science versus religion piece. If you are going to, just point of fact, I don't think I've ever fully realized that about Ghostbusters in that same way. I've been watching Ghostbusters regularly for, since I saw it in the theaters, whatever that was, 84, something like that. And I don't know exactly. It would be a very different movie, which now I'm thinking like could be super cool. Just like you said, well, why don't we have the platonic co-parents be happily ever after at the end of the film rather than the rekindling of a romantic partnership? Let's have uh, y'all your let's put your gizmos and measurements and photos. I just feel like there are ways that that could be. Here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking. They could at least be melded. They could be given equal. I don't know about no religion, but I'm thinking of like a silver bullet with werewolves. The bullet is crucial, which is very, to me, science. <laughs> and the silver is crucial, which is very, to me, the mystical. That's the word I was looking for, mystical. So there, there's a nice little happy working together religion and science or equal billing to dispatch the evil So, I don't know how what that would look like with an exorcism, but I don't know. Maybe you strobe light the possessed person to disrupt their brain patterns, and that creates some opportunity with the ritual. Again, okay, that's off the top of my head. I'm throwing it out there, but there's a way, there are just ways I think that wouldn't religion is the absolute this is what solves the issue. Is it
1: the idea of a soul? Is that what brings religion in? Because as you're throwing out those ideas, I'm thinking like, okay, there there are parallels here certainly to like, yeah, vampires or werewolves or whatever. Okay. But vampires have a religious component too, but creature movies, maybe like there are supernatural seeming villains in horror films where religion is not employed to put them down, but a possession is different because the, Monster comes in and takes over the human soul. Right? It's the body, but it's not the soul. Like the soul is the piece that's in struggle. And so, is that why religion gets invoked in these?
0: No, but Nightmare on Elm Street Two, baby. Nightmare on Elm Street Two has no religion. Freddy's Freddy's just gay. Does he possess anybody? <laughs> well, in, that's the that's why Nightmare on Elm Street Two is so is so deviant. Is he, I don't know about possessing, but he is taking over the lead guy. He's using his body. It's essentially a possession. Oh, you're right.
1: You're right. And I somehow forgot about that. You're totally right.
0: Because yet again, Wes Craven is the best horror director, horror contributor of the last 50 years. Huh. Secular possession, baby. So,
1: so is, it, is, this, <laughs> is this just one of those cases of like, you can't see your own culture because you're in it. That It seems baffling, like how would there ever be a, a possession movie without religion as the savior? It's just because we've only seen that. I mean, you're, you're right. You could have science but, as the savior. You could have it, Ghostbusters it, as the savior. You could.
0: It, it's totally, oh God, this is. But nobody does it. Right Wes Craven did it. Shocker. Possession through technology. Did you ever see Shocker? Yes.
1: Uh, oh, you're uh, right. Through the arm, right?
0: Through uh, the television. He travels through like the wires.
1: Oh, I'm thinking he of something was
0: electrocuted.
1: different. I'm thinking of where the guy gets the other guy's arm, and the arm is possessed. <laughs> there was, was something like that,
0: wasn't it? it was yeah, like, I'd, idle Hands. That's that's Idle Hands. Oh, okay. Or not Idle Hands. It's um, that was another uh, Bernard or Rose film, or maybe it wasn't. God damn, who who is it? Uh, um. Hand, dismembered hand, body something, body
1: contact paper. He gets the arm of someone killed in an electric chair.
0: Yeah. Uh body. Fuck it. Body parts. Body. Dang it. Wait for it. Uh body parts is totally the name of the film. It is Eric Redd, who we went to see at Alamo. Yes. So body parts, there's that, but Wes Craven's *Serpent in the Rainbow* is possession. That's that's got mystical, but it's also got drugs. Just, I mean, hallucinogens. I feel like I'm missing something from him, but th- th- these are totally. We should watch *Shocker*. I would, I would, I would love to revisit that film. It would give us, give us an excuse to watch a, and maybe towards the end of this, like maybe we can do a Sidious and then, and then throw that in there to as a potentially. Uh, scientific possession film because i don 't remember how that 's resolved i don 't remember how he is killed, so i don 't know what the exorcism equivalent is in that film, so it would be potentially kind of really interesting to watch watch one of the watch that
1: was there a religious solution in pet cemetery I mean, I know there wasn 't a solution per se, but was religion invoked
0: I mean the native kind of the native religion, right? The first nations people is, is they knew the ground was sour or something, which was, and they had, they were doing rituals where the cemetery was,
1: but their solution was to leave. Right. So they didn't like Uh, fix it by bringing religion in. It just was how it was.
0: Yeah. They, they, right. They basically set up a warning. Don't do this shit and we're out. And then at the end, well, of the old one, they don't resolve it because wife shows up at the door. <laughs> right. So there is no resolution in that. that re- the resolution in that is a very different, the nuclear family is best, even if half of them are dead or whatever. <laughs> uh, so that's a, a very different, but I think equally very pro-family. Is it? you I mean, having
1: a dystopian ending? I don't know if you can draw those same parallels. I'm not sure about uh, that one.
0: I, I don't. I, I, we, yeah, we'd have to. Well, we'll have to discuss that at some point. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Um, so, so let me throw something out anyway. there. Then a lot of people are religious, and you've pulled up some really good examples. I think I was a little bit blind to them just at the start of this conversation. So this has been fun.
0: Of oh, me too. I, I love this. I'd never have considered those as that, but I think that's I think it's fantastic. I think it's I'm totally like jazzed about it. it gives me a whole new lens on how awesome West craven is <laughs> and how awesome Ghostbusters is. And anything that can reconfirm, uh, re-solidify or further solidify my belief in those things is uh you know I'm down with. But so anyway, I just mean to say that I am not saying I was privy or wise to this before you were. I was I think just as blind as you. And I think it was, I think that is a beautiful sociological moment. That's worth pointing out is which is what you did, Laura, which is to ask the most fundamental basic question of, can this be another way, even though it is, or maybe we should say, not even though, but especially if it is fundamental, so taken for granted in a culture that, doesn't hardly ever, it's not even acknowledged much, much less questioned. That's uh, so kudos to you as a, as a sociologist for, for asking the question.
1: Okay. So here's what I want to say. And, and kudos to you for naming the podcast. So horror films are our collective nightmares. A lot of people are religious. So you would expect a genre to look exactly like this, right? As again, as looking at these films as a mirror of our society, we should have exactly this. We should have films that hold religion in esteem over science and where, you know, an American culture where Christianity prevails would be the predominant argument because that's the, I mean, like I said, you hold up a mirror, you see what bounces back at you. That's the predominant argument out there. This is a bit of a deviation because someone decided to go into a different religion with it. That makes sense. Its existence makes sense. So whether critique it or not in terms of like what message it's putting out there or sort of whose worldview it's, it's holding in esteem. It just should be there. (laughs) It makes sense that it's there, I guess is all I'm saying.
0: And I'm going to go one further, which is, I just have the nugget of this idea, but particularly because you said that, and I'm going to say that the resurgence of these films in the late aughts and early teens perfectly coincides with Obama being elected. And so it would feed all of the Bush right-wing supposed, or at least superficial family values people, it would feed on their fears of, oh my God, we've got a black guy in office or a multiracial guy in office, Bush and the Christian values people are out of office We need to be afraid that families are going to fall apart and evil is going to resurge. And we need to reestablish our, our belief in religion and traditional family arrangements, because that's what is, is being threatened by the fact that the communist feminist Satanists or whoever they think we are, are in power. And so, and so it would produce this genre. I mean, I know we're, sort of an inevitably with this podcast, we're working, um, you know, we're working kind of data to the theory. But in this case, I think there's a very powerful argument because these are all totally 2008 to 2000, like whatever, 13, 14. So by the time, uh, I guess maybe 14, they'd either, it was like, okay, well, it's been six years. I know people still thought that, but, Maybe that feeling had waned a little bit or at least people were moving, pivoting to like looking ahead of, okay, now we can elect somebody who's going to bring back family values. And by that, we mean Trump, who's had five kids by three different wives and, you know, done everything, (laughs) not traditional family values ever. But at least he's white and sort of seems like a Christian to us or whatever. Okay, I'm, I'm losing the thread here we can elect someone who's going to restore these family values politically. And therefore we don't need to have these movies or these movies that prey on that aren't as effective because we have a practical or a different outlet for all these fears and anxieties. And those, that outlet is voting for Trump.
1: First of all, I love that.
0: (laughs) I love that too. I
1: love it. And secondly, it's funny because when you first, at the beginning of the podcast, you said, oh, you know, the late aughts and early teens. And I I almost made a joke and I said, oh, it was Obama. And I I didn't say it in part because I thought I couldn't see the connection at all. (laughs) And so I I don't know if you had paused longer, maybe the words would have come out of my mouth, but I love that because you just actually made an entirely plausible I'm like a third of the way there to where I was in what was that film? Peeping Tom with your dad, Mm. where I just wanted to like, give you a a little slow clap. (laughs) (laughs) I like it.
0: I like it too. I think that's a very nice, which also helps us framework out this, uh, this little, if we're calling this a mini series, right. It gives us a full framework of, of how this all is playing out. Insidious is 2010. So you figure Obama's elected in 2008. Take a year, Take, <laughs> yeah. two years for <laughs> writing and production. Right. It takes two years to make the movie. <laughs> takes two years to make the movie. And uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, I guess
1: first someone has to identify, like I have this fear, <laughs> <I> Just <laughs> a sudden idea that I need to express this. Artistic. Yeah.
0: Totally, totally.
1: I'm digging it. I'm digging it
0: Okay, One one other
1: thing I want to throw out there, and I I think this is probably a (laughs) throwaway counter to what you're saying, but I just want to say it because it was an interesting experience. If there weren't so many Christian exorcism films when they showed the Jewish exorcism book and this was about (laughs) Judaism, I actually might have watched this film and thought that it was othering Judaism and that it was somehow being oppressive, I guess, by tying it so closely to evil, right? By like this religion, the evil is somehow couched in this religion and we need to seek out, even though the solution, they're seeking out a solution in the rabbis. And so that's not, it's no different than the argument with Christianity. And when I see the argument in like The Exorcist, I don't think, oh, this is anti-Christian. I think it's incredibly pro-Christian. And so I don't know if it's just because I'm so not used to seeing other religions referenced in film or what it was, but my reaction would have been, I think, critical of the film for tying Judaism with evil, except that that doesn't hold water at all because I see it as pro-Christian when they do it with Christians. So I don't know. I just wonder if you had that experience at all.
0: Um, great question. Great question. I don't think so. I um, No, I, I didn't. And I think that's, no, I didn't really have that. I, but I also, can I say I, something?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's probably like I don't know, voodoo or yeah, Native American rituals or in tying back to that eco argument I was making, which I'm stretching very far, but still somewhat holds water. I think this idea that there's some sort of like more in-tuneness, nativeness, whatever, of groups that have been oppressed. And so somehow I don't feel that when Christianity is the religious tie, because I don't think of Christianity as being oppressed, but it's a little bit like pet cemetery or like you know like there's something a little bit sort of under the surface racist about this connection between being yeah it's exactly the ecofeminist thing right being closer to nature being closer to the other world being closer to whatever as as fitting a group that has historically been oppressed
0: and i think it is i i i'm having a trouble thinking of a good example but i feel like a lot of times if not all the time when like you said like indigenous people all, all of those things always happen like in the jungle somewhere or in like a hut or in like in somewhere that is connecting it to this primitive, you said very ethnocentric, like they're still rudimentary people and it's all bones and it's not organized. It's not an organized religion. It's not systematized. It's not bureaucratized like, like Christianity or even Judaism. And with, I guess, with this film, but also with so many exorcist films, it's always some super nice church that they go to. And these things can always be done in like a bedroom exorcist or in a basement of a hospital or just basically anywhere, but it's still within civilization. And I think that's a crucial difference in in that. So if And so with this, where they basically just mapped Judaism onto that Christian template, it's still, I I don't know if there's, I'm trying to think of what, it just seems like, I feel like that's what I see or I remember from those kinds of films. It's never, well, the witch doctor can come into New York City and do his thing in the loft in the east village or whatever it's no you got to take the kid out to the mystic person if they're not in a hut somewhere they're out on the edge of town or on like a reservation that's like adjacent to civilization but it's still it might be a house but it's like let's face it it's not really a house kind of thing
1: you're totally right we're tying <laughs> so many things together with a nice neat little bow in this episode and i'm just enjoying that
0: oh totally, totally love it Yeah. So that's something we can look forward to. Fabulous.
1: I have something else I'd like to throw out. Oh, great. The we're awesome theme (laughs) that I've seen (laughs) in at least the last two films, this film and then the conjuring again, which we've only started this little series if we're doing a series on it briefly. So I've only got two data points, but this idea, it just strikes me as odd, right? The idea that, there are these other spirits in the world and all they want is human life. All they want is to be human. What a silly way to live. If you're some (laughs) mortality-less spirit, why obsess over us? You know, and again, in the history of, I mean, if you look at the history of the earth, (laughs) humans are such a tiny little sliver, first of all, of existence. And then, you know, I mean, if you could just have immortality, which these things seem to, what the heck is the point of trying, obsessing, spending all of your effort, just trying to be a human, trying to be like we are? And I like to often think of horror films, um, I hope this tangent doesn't go too far. I think, I think it's going to come together. We'll see. When we watched The Shining, follow-up to The Shining, Dr. Sleep, I remember arguing this, that sometimes I think horror films affirm for us that something that we wish we could have, we can't. So like, we want to have the ability to... Uh, whatever, be connected to people telepathically and see the future or whatever it is that the shining people have the ability to do. And so we tell stories to ourselves about how, oh, well, there are people who have that, but it's really a terrible thing and it doesn't work out. And like sour grapes, sour grapes, sour grapes. So one, we, I think we do that. But in this film, I was thinking, you know, I think we also might tell ourselves stories about why it's better to be like us. It's kind of the same type of thing, right? Might you rather be an immortal spirit That'd be awesome to not have to have the constraints (laughs) that humans have. So we make up these stories where there are those things and all they want is to be us because it makes us feel better. You know, the shining one makes us feel better for not having the traits we don't have. And and maybe I'm saying the exact same thing here. I guess this makes us feel better for not having those traits too, because the things who do have those traits just wish and devote their entire existence to having what we have. Aren't we amazing? (laughs) There's something there.
0: I love that. I think that's fantastic. I think it's a great argument and a great point. Dang it. There was one other, there was something I was going to add to that. Oh, did you ever see fallen? What is it? Gregory, Gregory Hoblet film with Denzel Washington and John Goodman. I don't know. I think the demon in that at some point jumps to an animal. And I just think that's interesting.
1: Oh, that is interesting. Right. Cause it would parallel this whole, like, like are we special and we're so wonderful or not
0: but that's the only film I can think of where that's the only film I can think of where a spirit or demon or whatever it is takes over or embodies whatever the word is occupies the body of a of a non human animal
1: that's interesting did it want was it trying to get to a human
0: it uh it's a great film don't remember maybe I think I don't yeah I think it was uh well big big spoilers for Fallen I think it was a a spirit that would move between bodies to stay alive and at some point the strategy that Denzel uses is he's going to take take the person who I think he takes himself I, I can't remember exactly anyway he isolates so there isn't Cause the body can only, or the spirit can only live without a body for so long. So he goes out into the middle of nowhere and I think he kills himself. And then I think the last shot of the film is you see this wolf or this dog like shiver or like shift or something. So we know that all his strategizing to get this demon out in the middle of nowhere was Naive because it could live in a different body, not just a person.
1: That could be like a child's play kind of situation where, right, he's in the doll, but he doesn't really want to be in the doll. It's it like a pet to a human.
0: It's still a non. I mean, a doll, if we're going to say a doll is anthropomorphic, it's still not, a, not a, true. I'm just saying, I, I'm, yeah. not, I'm just saying that I'm actually, I guess, I'm more arguing for your point. It's the only, only occasion at any point in any film that i can think of where where that happens and uh and i think it's interesting like you're saying that that yes we are we are awesome so of course no matter what uh possession a demon or whatever would seek out a person and not a wolf or just
1: live its own life right (laughs) mean it's out there doing whatever can't it find fulfillment without well it
0: uh, it was caught up it was stuck in a box so
1: (laughs) (laughs) okay so we've got we've got the we're awesome but we've got the corollary then of xenophobia which was way stronger in uh the conjuring
0: yeah
1: i mean explicitly stated like oh they're not like us they've never walked the earth in human form definitely not human You know, but they want to be, but they're not. Right. But in this film, I saw little threads of that too, which I just I want to throw these on the table because this will be fun to look at more films like this and see if it's a common common theme. Subtle, but like the when the demon starts speaking another language, right? They're they're just things that make it seem other, and that was the biggest piece that stuck out to me in this film was when it was speaking. I don't know whatever language it was speaking, that that's scary because we're afraid of things that aren't like us in the teeth. I almost want to drag the teeth into that. And I don't know if that's a possibility or not, but the the girl who got possessed had the messed up teeth and the other one fixed her teeth. And so it could be something that's about, I don't know what, you know, there was all this commentary and I think the new guy was a dentist and dad didn't want the dentist in his daughter's mouths and blah, blah, blah. There was all of that. But so I don't know if it was like that. She didn't go to the new boyfriend and let him do something to her. And that was like more of her distance from the new boyfriend. Or if there was something there about, I don't want to go so far as to say deformity with her teeth, but just like the person being targeted. I don't know, having some sort of something that might be seen as an imperfection or I don't know, other again.
0: Tell, tell me that again, but what, what's our takeaway from that?
1: I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, it could be a corollary between like the new guy was a dentist. And so it could be that the daughter who was accepting of the separation let the dentist work on her teeth and, you know, she's just moving on and it's fine. And the other daughter who was like resistant to having the dentist in her life is also the one who gets possessed and the possession sort of represents, again, anger toward the breakup of the marriage. But there could have been something there at first, I guess, when I didn't know that was the nuclear family argument it was going to make. I was just wondering if there was something there about you know, again, in the who gets possessed box, right? Who we see women, children. Could there be something about imperfection or, you know, is there something, mm. some piece of that that's relevant? I don't know. Maybe it's just in service of the nuclear family argument.
0: We don't really know anything else about Emily, right? We learn Hannah's got her dance team, but Emily, we don't learn anything about her, do we?
1: No, that's interesting. You're right.
0: Cause I was trying to think if there was anything else about her that would be considered, like you say, like kind of an imperfection or, or something. I don't think we really have that. I think what you said about the teeth and the, uh, it being symbolic and it just works very well with the boyfriend being the dentist. I think all well, that's great. And I think that's probably a sufficient explanation. It was just a, not just, it was a nice, good, symbolic, symbolic, additional alignment between distinguishing the points of the daughters in terms of acceptance of the separation and divorce and acceptance of the new boyfriend. And it further reinforced the, those relationships. I mean, I think that's really solid. I don't see an additional I don't know. I, I don't I don't recall any additional aspects that would contribute to that, but I think it would contribute to what you're saying about a, a further kind of an imperfection argument. So do you have any other threads? I was just going to show I'm looking up Dibuk on Wikipedia, and so the Dibuk popularized the concept in literary circles. Earlier accounts of possession were of demonic possession rather than that by ghosts. These accounts advocated orthodoxy among the populace as a preventative measure. So what I take from that is that the Dibbuk was used as, a, as exactly what we're saying it was used in this film. It was maintain your orthodoxy of your religious beliefs in order to avoid the, the demon. The the Dibbuk, and and that's exactly what this film is arguing and I th- I just think that's further in support of what our interpretation is here and then I just have to say I find this really interesting generally which is there are other forms of soul transmigration in Jewish mythology in contrast to the Dibbuk, the iber is a positive possession which happens when a righteous soul temporarily possesses a body. This is always done with consent so that the soul can perform a mitzvah. Mitzvah refers to a commandment commanded by God to be performed as a religious duty. The Gilgal puts forth the idea that a soul must live through many lives before it can gains the wisdom to rejoin the God. So there's like a, I just think that's interesting. I've just never heard that. It's just a very interesting idea to me that there could be like a, I mean, that would be a great satire movie, right? Of well, Dada's possessed, but she's doing the dishes and excelling at school, so eh, we we'll figure we'll just let it slide. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's just interesting. I, you know, I find that super interesting about Japanese culture, too. They have the yokai, who are uh, kind of spirits, and there's many, many of them. And they're kind of generally mischievous, but some of them are very positive and helpful. So it's, it's not all just an evil. I mean, I know there's angels in, in Christianity, but <clears throat> it's not... Christianity is still so binary. And my understanding of the yokai is they're... A full, I mean, there's lots of them. So there's some that are they're just very much more complex. They might just I they might be doing all kinds of different things. It's not just, oh, these are good good ones and these are bad ones. Some are, well, they're good, but they'll take a price, or they're bad, but you can dispel them easily, or they're not really bad. They're just kind of impish, and they just kind of, you know, they're they like they cause things like Murphy's Law to happen, where it's not like they're damning you to hell forever. It's we made you drop your spill your wine on your shirt or I don't know whatever. I don't know exactly how it all works, but, but it, it is, it is interesting to me that uh, I don't know. just this little piece from Wikipedia. Anyway, no, I think we should grade the film and then you can tell me about your life.
1: Okay. And I, I just want to say on your first point about the whole idea of what the divic was used for, paralleling our arguments here yes also though the conjuring was worse i'll still say that on a lot of criteria the conjuring was much stronger in that regard and so yes even though that does hold here it holds so much more in the conjuring where the family is explicitly told like well maybe you should have gone to church more (laughs) you know so again just some points of contrast where this film was not as like that
0: as the conjuring was yeah that's absolutely yeah, because at the end the rabbi is like, "Okay, see ya." By the way, there's no right. There's no we'll expect you to see. We'll expect to see you at that temple Saturday night, or I don't remember exactly what happened in in the conjuring, but yes, you're right. In the conjuring, it was very much like should have got your kids baptized, should have <laughs> gone to church, should have had a cross up on your wall or whatever it was. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And here, we don't even know if the family is totally. Jewish. We don't care at the end. Like the solution was to get the nuclear family back together. But if it if this argues... Yeah, totally. If it's arguing pro-religion or pro-religious values, I think it is in a much more subtle way. Like the audience might be receptive to it for those reasons. But I don't know that the film overtly is is putting that forth.
0: Which is totally reflective of the religions, right? Jews don't proselytize as far as I've ever known. Right. Catholics, it's you got to tell everybody and your mother about how great it is to be Christian. And if you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Jewish folks are like, yeah, you know, if you want to uh, come to the temple, we're open to you converting kind of. But, <laughs> you know, generally speaking, we're like, we don't care what you do, which is totally the the total attitude of the two films. <laughs> I hope I'm not if I if I'm totally mischaracterized something about Judaism or Catholicism or I know I've simplified those arguments, but I hope I haven't offended anyone in being because I have my ignorance is totally off. I don't think I don't think I am. But anyway,
1: we'd be so happy to get an email, (laughs) even even a critique.
0: Feel free to to write anything.
1: (laughs) So grading it. One thing I want to say before I grade it is just that I've probably said this already, but I'm going to say it again, because I think there are probably people who, lis- who are listening who would like to hear it. And I just, for my own sake, would like to say it again. That argument about you should stay together for the sake of the children hurts. And as someone who is sitting in that position and has to face that argument constantly, it's really painful and it has, not you know, I can, I can sit outside of all of this and I can critique these films or talk about the messaging or talk about what I think is right. But on a personal level, I still feel the weight of that constantly. And it's hard even in like the context of this conversation to talk about these things and say, oh, well, I don't think that's the right argument to make. And here are the reasons why I don't think it works. And you can't just tell people to suck it up and be, you know, content in this relationship if they're not, because that's going to cause other problems and all of those things. But the whole time I'm arguing that demonizing that is a problem and showing that it's going to have terrible effects on the children, that's like a bad argument to be putting out there. The entire time I'm arguing that there's a voice in the back of my head that says, yeah, Laura, but it is evil. And yeah, Laura, but you are actually a terrible person. So, you know, you don't like seeing the argument that it's damaging to children and a horrible thing to do. Well, too bad. That's the truth. And you're just awful. So get used to it and like i can't turn that off you know i can temper it <laughs> i can try to argue against it i can make choices in my life that that don't align with that but it's not something that i certainly have been able to get away from and i i know there must be a lot of people sitting in my shoes and so from that position i think the argument that this film makes is really like i said it hurts and even in saying that and even as letting those words come out of my mouth i'll say It hurts, especially because saying it, I immediately correct myself and say, well, you deserve it. That's just the reality. I think of being in a position like I'm in of of having a child and separating and the weight of that argument is heavy. And so I think certainly for anyone listening, who's in that position, I think it's just helpful to put that on the table and say, you know, that's, I think a, a common way to feel probably. And also to say that when looking at this messaging, it's, it's a problem for that reason, because there's so much of it out there and it is so heavy. And it would be so nice. You know, I, I watch something like this. It starts going down that road. And just like with The Lodge, and I am so invested for my own sake through the entire film of like, please say something that lets me not be a terrible person. Just please say that, because I'm trying all the time in my own head to justify that. And so it's it matters what kinds of messaging these films put out there. And that's what we argue in this podcast. But I can just say from a very personal position, it's going to be hard to grade because. I will still be thinking about this when I go to bed tonight because it's always there and anything that brings it up just sends me right down the same road of am I awful? am I awful? am I a monster? And that's mm. that's rough.
0: Yes, and and so when we grade the film, dear listeners, we evaluate exactly these kinds of things. What are what are the larger messages? What kind of what kind of representation of people and ideas and values are integrated into the film overtly or covertly and after we've done what done our best to to suss out how all of how all of that plays out in the film we we tried to take a step back and give a broad overview of but we think the film contributes positively and negatively to, to all of that discussion. For example, exactly what Laura is talking about with this film. And what does that mean for folks, the millions of folks who are in the situation of being parents who have divorced or separated or, or kids of, of divorce or separation or other versions of blended families or whatever it is. Um, and so it isn't so much about entertainment value, though we do consider that as it pertains to how that intersects with the messaging that exists in the film. And does that mean you want to grade me, me to grade first, Laura? Or does that mean you want to just offer that kind of uh, context and then give your own, get, and then give your, your evaluation?
1: Yeah, maybe you can grade first. I, I think I just wanted to throw that out there because it, yeah, because it feels so personal. And and it's it feels so personal that it's hard actually for me to disentangle that. Like it's it's hard for me to disentangle my own guilt from my assessment of the film. Mm. Because if I grade the film down for making an argument I don't want to hear, part of me says, well, you're just being biased, Laura, because you don't want to realize that you're an awful person. And, and I feel like I should just say that because again, that's exactly what we're talking about here is all of this type of sort of, covert societal messaging and how that gets in you. And it would be very easy for me to look at someone else in these shoes and say, oh my gosh, don't feel that way. And you should, you know, but it's hard when it's yourself. Sure. So yeah, you go first. And then I'll, I'll try to
0: uh, well to you, how you grade it. I mean, I can't help but be influenced by what you're saying and that's fine. I can't help but be influenced by what you're saying. And I'm still going to go with this, which is, I hear what you're saying for me who, for those who, listening. I don't have a spouse or long-term partner or kids or any of that. So I'm very much separated from the lived experience of these, these issues. Although being as old as I am, and being single is its own deviation from the expected family, personal dynamic of us culture. So so, whatever that, however much that matters or doesn't. Um, yes, the film was conservative, was very pro-family. Although, for me, it was a it was a softer, more nuanced argument, where they didn't start as terrible things, just totally terrible, and end up in a very happy, resolved place. It started as, yeah, we're separated and things are moving on, but we still get along and the kids are basically taken care of. And yeah, things go downhill with the evil of this box. But, you know, in resolving that, we also get back together. It just wasn't as extreme or dramatic of an argument. And with that on top of, and again, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm very, very anti-organized religion, generally speaking. And so the pro-religion part of this for me was also problematic, but on the flip side of that, I got to say, the fact that it it's a Jewish exorcism film is just, again, to me in terms of representation of religion in horror, I, I can't, I, I'm, never seen that in a possession or a or a haunting film i'm trying to think if i've ever seen it i think i've seen there's been some sort of jewish component in some other kind of horror films but it's so invisible and underrepresented i feel like there's credit that needs to be given for that and i don't know if it's I don't know what the representation of the actors are. I don't know if they're they're Jewish or not. I, I guess that we consider representation in terms of how we evaluate films. Does it offer some diversity? And uh, you know, I don't even know how we would sort out who Ol oh, all who wrote it. I suppose must be is is a man, but so the. The co-authors are a woman and a, and a man. And the article that the f- thing was based on is a woman. Modis Yahu, who's the, <laughs> who's I know is a Jewish musician, is in the film. I think, do you know if Kira, I think she might be Jewish too. Isn't, cause she's, so she's Patty's sister. Is Patty Jewish? I don't know. I think she might be. So I think there's some Jewish representation on the cast and behind the scenes. I kind of want to still give it the C minus. I kind of want to give it the passing C minus with notes. Ultimately you've got a conservative film, but it's not, I guess you said this too, or it's just not as offensive or as dramatic or as intense on any side of it. And I guess for me in this case, that's, that's better. Sometimes that's worse. Sometimes I'm very much like, well, pick your argument and fucking make it. But for whatever with this film, I still think I want to give it the the passing grade in the in the like C minus range. There's that's my that's where I'm gonna. I,
1: I agree with a lot of what, change, what you said. Changed my mind. <laughs> and I no, I don't know if Kira Sedgwick is Jewish. Although I saw in the bio, I was trying to look that up on Wikipedia while you were talking that her parents hmm. did get divorced and her mother subsequently remarried. <laughs> I don't know what that says. Anyway, she did not, however, uh, get divorced. I definitely don't want to give it an F and the conjuring I felt like just sunk right down into the F. There was no, I there was no redeeming argument in the conjuring for me. It was just a big pile of problems. And in this film, I don't feel that way. I agree with you that having it be a Jewish exorcism movie in the first place is a big positive. All of the other things that it did, even if it did them problematically aside from the the divorce piece, I mean, that was strong, but the rest of it was subtle and it wasn't nearly as, as overt and, it didn't have the same emotional feel that the conjuring had, which to me just felt oppressive in terms of ideology. It just, it didn't, it wasn't as bad. And I'm debating between C and D like a low C and a a D for that reason. I think I'm going to land in D just because, like I said, sitting in the shoes of someone who's negatively impacted by this argument, it's, it's hard to give it a C and say like, ah, like I said, it's hard to, it's hard to, Let them make me feel the way it makes me feel and give them a C. If not for my own sake, for the sake of the millions of people who are sitting in exactly my shoes, that we don't need more of this messaging out there. That said, I do want to give myself the little asterisk footnote of like, unless it's really true and I'm just awful, which in itself is probably reaffirming the argument of a D because people are fragile and you need to be careful what you tell them about how they should live their life and what makes them evil. People... Some people like me. So I'm going to land somewhere in D, but I I, D plus at least, I guess, because I do agree with all of the redeeming stuff you're saying.
0: So basically what you're saying is like in 15 years, if we listen back to this and Noah has turned out fine.
1: I'm willing to bump it to a C. (laughs) (laughs) Right.
0: (laughs) Or maybe not even fine, but like relatively okay. (laughs)
1: I don't know what I'm saying. I'm saying it's hard to see yeah. through the <laughs> fog of my own life, but but it's definitely not enough. I can say that yeah, for sure.
0: I get that. Okay. Well, cool. Well, this was, uh, this was an exemplary. I thought this was great. I think we broke some real ground here, Laura. I'm excited I, to keep you know- doing our little mini series or whatever. We're- I just, yeah, I guess it's going to be a mini series. Yeah. Let's run with it till it's not fun anymore.
1: I totally agree. And, and now I want to second guess myself a tiny little bit and say the fact that the parents actually could have been happy at the end, if the problem really was just dad's work and he honestly changed his mind about that such that everybody was getting their needs met at the end of the film, is great for them to get back together. There's nothing wrong with people getting back together. There you go. Um, that could sort of be okay. It's just, it's a, they're, they're, it's not a coincidence that the evil haunting happened only in the context of their divorce and Nah, I don't know. Uh, we don't need to believe no, this.
0: I, no, it's not. But I, you know, on another little flip side of that, we could have, the, the final scene could have them been waking up in bed together. So we like know that they're back, that reconnecting the romantic component. But no, he's just background. And, uh, uh, again, that's the kind of what the I'm car. saying. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is something. I don't know. I don't know. All right. All right. Let's, let's wrap it up. Okay. Well, we appreciate you listening. Check out the rest of our episodes. We're going to keep doing possession haunting,
1: mostly possession, possession films. If I get to pick the next one, I'm super tempted to do poltergeist.
0: Yeah. Whatever we're going to do, but we're going to keep doing these for a few episodes. We can at least do this through Christmas, which is when promising young woman comes out, which would give us three weeks, four weeks so that sounds
1: great like you said i think let's do it till it's not fun anymore i mean we did slashers till we ran out of slasher steam
0: i've got i've got more slasher steam (laughs) for sometime in the future but anyway yes please uh please come back and, and keep listening to our conversation as it evolves as we have seen very clearly with the possession horror films are our collective nightmares And the synopsis from IMDb is a young girl buys an antique box at a yard sale, unaware that inside lives a malicious ancient spirit. Uh, the girl's father teams with his ex-wife. I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to figure out a way to say that without a spoiler. The girl's separated parents negotiate what to do with, the, with their possessed kid. <laughs> 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 uh that might be marginally better i i just didn't want to give away i mean the the end the curse oh to find a way to end the curse i guess it doesn't tell us that the curse was actually ended that would be a fun way to see it
1: so girls separated parents get back together to end the curse (laughs)
0: because getting divorced is horrible (laughs) exactly uh so yeah Rather than divorce ourselves from the film, we're going to collaborate to discuss the film for you all. I think somehow we have to end up
1: in bed together at the end of that metaphor, Marshall. There's like no way around that.
0: We didn't. They didn't end up in bed. We don't have to end up in bed. We could just end up in the kitchen together.
1: You want some shirtless orange juice out of my fridge?
0: Uh, I think that was pretty good. Is that too close to the bone <laughs> my little segue there <laughs> oh yeah okay I fucking just spilled my coffee Laura I'm sorry hold on <laughs> I got
1: I'm just googling night watch because you're cleaning up your coffee and I see that it is it's a 1997- oh,
0: 1997 my headphones on okay something about Nightwatch watch
1: I'm Googling Nightwatch night while you were cleaning up your coffee. Oh. And I see that it's a 1997 American remake of a 1994 Danish. Did I see that right? Uh, now I lost the country Danish film. And the, the Danish film had such success that they paid for an American remake. Maybe we should watch the 1994 film.
0: Yes, we can definitely put that on the schedule. Oh, yeah. Not a Vokten Written and directed by the same person. So that's kind of interesting. You you still don't use Gmail? Is that right? I use Gmail. Uh. Also. Uh, uh, oh. <laughs> Hello.
1: <laughs> this was a good one. I'm excited about this. That was a good pick.
0: Yeah, it turned out. Yeah, uh, you know, I was very on the fence about it. I I think I was more on the fence about it because I have... There was another... Because it, it wasn't the film I was looking for. That's really the only reason I was on the fence about it. There's some film that came out around this time. And I think that this actually works in... Well, it works into the collective nightmares theory because in this span from like 2005 to like 2013... There is, what did we watch last week? What did we watch last week? The Conjuring. Between, so there's The Conjuring, Haunting in Connecticut, This, Possession, Exorcism of Emily Rose, The Last Exorcism, The Last Exorcist, something like that. There's this whole little mini wave of Insidious, and I don't know. I mean, those movies, the right, there's all those movies are popular, but it seemed like there there's a, a real little burst, a little mini se- genre burst.
1: That's interesting. I didn't realize that. But now that you say that, it seems right. Has it not continued since then?
0: And I don't think so. I'm just going from Taste Dive, which is where I was trying to find this all. Let me look up. I think Insidious was first. and the, I mean, that could be the... No, Insidious wasn't first. I was going to say though that could have all been inspired by the... Success of Insidious, but it wasn't. Insidious is 2010. So let's see. Sinister 2012. I didn't even name that one yet. Conjuring's thirteen. Uninvited is two thousand nine, which I didn't mention either. Exorcism of Emily Rose, two thousand five. Possession, two thousand twelve, devil, two thousand ten. Oh, paranormal activity was two thousand seven. Well, still that Emily Rose was before that. Paranormal activity could have sparked it because it was because that, that was another like highest grossing or highest return on investment film ever. It was one of them for, for quite a while. An American Haunting, 2005. Grudge reboots were... Well, Grudge 2 was 2006. Uh, yada, yada, yada. Last Exorcism, 2010. No, I don't see... It certainly hasn't continued like that era I mean, I'm looking at this is all these recommended based on that. And the only ones that have really, I think the latest here I'm seeing is about 2012, 13, except for sequels. Insidious 3 comes out 15, Conjuring 2 comes out 2016, Annabelle's 2014. So the there's some that move into the mid-teens, but those are all sequels to, you know, they're, they're not, all the rest of these are new so yeah, there's a little, there's a little burst. I mean, there's an occasional, there's one here. I've never even heard of Veronica 2017, but there's nothing else that has continued like that. So that's interesting. So we got, I guess we, got, we can think about why looks like, yeah, like 2000, I guess, late aughts, early teens, drag to hell 2009. These are all why that reemerged at that time. That's interesting. But yeah, so anyway, the only reason I was skeptical or I was waffling, wavering, same thing on this film is I have a memory of one of those films at that time that was also scary, that was also legitimately scary. I remember being scared, but it was was just not this film and I can't seem to figure out what it was. And I, I only have pieces in my head, but it was like a... was a very sepia toned it was like a gold it was a much warmer color color grading at least for part of the film and it was definitely involved some sort of it involved visiting a university but it was not it was not like this it was like a i don't know an old university maybe it ha- maybe it was happening in a couple different time periods whatever i don't know i'll keep looking for it but again that was i think the only real reason i i balked at or i started to hesitate about this film um there were definitely and then yeah and then i was thinking about it and i was also worried about time with you and i was like okay let's uh i think there's enough to talk about this and and then you ended up being later so we could have switched but long story short i think this worked so
1: I think it was super fun, and I'm really glad you picked it because it has a ton of points of contrast yeah. compared to The Conjuring. And yeah, oh yeah, it's, I, there are a million things I'd like to talk about with it. But since you chose it, you want to jump in first?
0: Sure, I can. Um, I I don't even know if I must have watched it before. I definitely watched it before. The first thing that I noticed that it took me a disappointingly long time to realize is. This is the first and only exorcism film I can think of that is Jewish. That is based on Judaism and not Catholicism and the Pope and the Vatican's got to approve shit. And we got our book that somehow, I don't know if it's a real book or not, that every exorcist movie has. That's the how-to exorcise, or at least has a chapter about it or whatever.
1: And Did then- you choose it based on that? Did you know that when you selected it?
0: No, I didn't. I just knew that there was, like I said, I I had this memory of one of these films in addition to the conjuring being exceptional. I wonder the irony, maybe, maybe that film was insidious, (laughs) but I, I don't, I didn't think that it was. And I had this image of a cover, the cover being what I primarily remembered. And so I went looking for that. And, um, So this is the covering of the haunting in Connecticut with the, what have you coming out of the face. And this is the cover of one of this. Something like this is what I remember the cover being of whatever this movie is that I may have just conjured up out of my brain, but might actually exist somewhere. So when I realized it wasn't haunting in Connecticut and I saw that cover, I was like, Oh, this must be the film. So Cause those are the only two that look like that at all. And this is made by a, uh, this is made by a person who directed a couple of other interesting films, or at least things I've noted, I've heard of as notable mostly night watch, which is so anyway, that's, that was it. And I was like, okay, <laughs> that was the whole thing. And then I watched half of half an hour of it. And I was like, ah, uh- I don't know if this is actually the film but now i'm half an hour in and this is kind of interesting and i do kind of remember this so i guess we're gonna go with it oh and then the, and, and i was on the fence to, i mean and then i started thinking about it or i slept on it you know and i when you or i messaged you this morning and i was like no there is enough because we've got family stuff again and we've got gender stuff again and we've got and then on top of that, the whole just the fact, again, that it's a, a, a Judaism based exorcism film. I was like, all right, fuck it. Let's do it. You know,
1: this is great. There's so much here to dig into. And I just want to say, I completely forgot that Nightwatch existed until you said that. I saw Nightwatch in the theaters in probably 1997 and loved it and totally forgot that it was a film. I probably saw it two or three times back then and I don't remember why I loved it, but I thought it was scary and I loved it. So maybe we should revisit it sometime. I'll see if I still agree with high school senior me.
0: Nightwatch came out in 1997. Look at you. Yeah.
1: That's an aside, but let's put that. Thank you for just bringing back this memory. I think I saw it several times in the theaters and that's not something I do.
0: Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, I, Deliberate by the film, but maybe it was. Sorry, I just totally that was totally nonsensical. <laughs> Crucial complaints to param- paranormal activity was still the there's there's such a frequent dynamic. I'll just say that so I don't have to have the spoiler. There's such a frequent dynamic in so many horror movies. <laughs> Divorce is not looked at favor of blah, blah blah blah. Let's have uh, y'all, you're let's. Put your doodads and or your not your doodads, your gizmos and measurements and photos.